Well, good morning. You know, I got to tell you, every time I begin a new teaching series, it feels like to me, man, this is going to be a long, long experience. We're going to be at this for a long time. When I knew I was going to do a 10-week series, I thought, wow, two and a half months is just going to, you know, feel like we're in it for a long time. But we're already at week three, and I feel like I'm just starting this morning, and I'm so glad that you're a part of this series because we're learning together how the Holy Spirit of God comes into our life and actually transforms us into the beautiful person that God has wanted us to be all along. See, somewhere along the way, we lose our way from God and we become different than what God intended. So he intended for us to be loving. We learned that last weekend. And somewhere along the way, life has a way of kind of kicking the love right out of us. Who knows what I'm talking about? We get a little cynical, get a little hard-hearted, a little less forgiving, a little less kind. And it takes God's work in us to get us back to our original design. So from where we are to where we can be is the purpose of our 10 weeks together. It's a very possible experience for you to become the person that God wants you to be, that God wants you to be. Now, this week, as you just heard, we are going to learn about joy. We're going to jump right into a scripture. I love this paraphrase of a part of the Bible that I want you to take a look at. Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets what? A fresh start and is what? Now stop right there. Everyone, anyone united with the Messiah gets what again? And is what again? That's the point. You can start again. You can be made new. And so can I. We keep going. The old life is gone. I'm thankful for that. And new life burgeons. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us. He called us to settle our relationship with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world, here's that phrase again, a what? Fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. That's what we're doing every weekend, telling everybody what God can do for you. It's amazing, really, that we were originally created with nine characteristics in us, very powerful very dynamic attributes. God did a good job when he made you. We've messed it up along the way, and now he is remaking us. Now, I have to be fair, and I should have said this two weeks ago at week one. This series should have come with a warning. If you pray for the Holy Spirit to produce these qualities in you, you will be tested on these qualities, and I think sometimes you'll be tested right away. Like, I know people, they've come in, they've heard a message in church, and they're like, wow, I really need to work on that. And before they leave the church parking lot, they get tested in that very thing. You know, or run into someone in the lobby, and it triggers them or something like that. A few years ago, Karen and I uh, were going to a restaurant right after church. I mean, it was right after church. And we went to the restaurant, and we couldn't find a parking space. And one thing you need to know about me, after I'm done teaching, I really, really get hangry. Like, I need to eat. I need to eat now. 
and the parking lot was full. And I noticed these two big souped up trucks overcompensating, big trucks, <laughs> big tires, two of them. And they were taking up four parking spaces. And your pastor got angry. I was mad about that. It's like, if they'd just taken their own spot, I'd have had a spot. And I was wanting to get inside, and I was wanting to eat. And I know that I'm supposed to be loving. We learned this last weekend. But I was hungry. I was hungrier than I was loving. And I was belly aching about that. And then my sweet wife reminded me that I am, in fact, a pastor. And I have to be better than that. I'm like, doggone it. I knew she was right. So I did the right thing, and I took my key, and I wrote, I love you, on the side of each truck. I, I'm a sensitive guy. Here's the truth. If you pray for these nine spiritual qualities to come alive inside of you, to ignite inside of you, to become a vibrational power inside of you, you're going to be tested on them. So last week was love. Uh, you may have been tested in that area. This week is joy. You let God work in you. You let God work for you. You let God work through you. You're going to realize this. To become beautiful you, you and I are going to need what? Say it loud. We're going to need God's help. I need it. So do you. So we're looking at the central part of the scriptures that really kind of frame this whole 10-week series. Here it is. It's in Galatians chapter 5. When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Say it with me. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How many of you wish I could get to self-control? You know, yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever stopped for a minute to consider what these tell us about God? See, through the New Testament, we're told that he is making us to resemble him. So follow my logic. If he's making us to resemble him, and he's building these nine attributes in us, guess who has these nine attributes? Everybody should have gotten that one right. <laughs> who has these nine attributes? God does. God does. Now you say, okay, well, that makes sense to me. But let me ask you a question. When you think about God in your mind, does the word joy ever come to your mind? When you think about Jesus, do you think of Jesus as joyful? When you read the Bible, does it dawn on you that an attribute of the living God is joyful? See, I think most people think about God as like an angry, killjoy, party pooper, stern, hateful, arbitrary deity. Whole systems of religion have been built around that notion of God. Harsh, stern, guilt-producing, unsmiling. I mean, I heard about a guy who came to church. He was so moved by the music, like we just heard, so moved by the spirit that was in that church, that right in the middle of the service, the guy just shouted, Amen. And an usher in the church went over to that guy, and he shushed him, shushed him, shh. 
But the guy was so moved, couldn't contain himself. A few minutes later, his joy just spilling out. He said it again, amen. I sure came over to him again. Shh, you got to be quiet. Guy said, I can't help it. I have the joy of the Lord in my heart. Usher said, you didn't get it here. <laughs> there are whole churches, whole systems of religion that see God as a killjoy. Be honest. What kind of God designed us? He must be joyful if he's wanting to create joy in us. Does this make sense to you? It just logically follows. We do not serve a negative God. We do not serve a hate-mongering God. We serve a joy-giving God. I want you to turn to the person next to you right now and say, God wants you to be joyful. Go ahead. Tell your neighbor. Tell your neighbor. So let me ask you a question. Why aren't we more joyful? Why don't we have higher and more consistent levels of joy in our life? I think it's because we don't understand really what joy is. We think, we think joy is kind of like a giddiness, like a flippant emotion, like it's kind of based on what's going around us, on around us at the time. That's not really what joy is. Look what joy is. Joy is a confident internal grin. I was really happy when I wrote this line. It's a confident internal grin. It's like there is a smile or a smirk inside of you. Outside, you might be crying. Outside, life might be hard. But even with that, inside, there's this little grin like somebody who knows something that everybody else doesn't know. It's an internal grin. Born a fervent hope based on the character of God and backed up by the promises of God. See, the way you get this, you have a hope because of who God is, character of God, and how we know the character of God is based on or backed up by the promises of God. Think about it. It's God's character that is the basis for our hope and our joy. God is faithful. He doesn't change. He's kept every promise that he's ever made. He is a promise-keeping God. He says, I'm going to bring good from your suffering. He infuses meaning into experiences that would have been without meaning without him. He rescues. He offers heaven forever. He promises all the strength and power we need to endure and face this life. Because of that, because of the character of God and the promises of God, we have a hope that gives us, that gives us joy. Here's the deal. Suffering happens. I've had my share. How many of you have had a little of your share? A little bit of suffering in your life. But it can't take away our joy. Because joy isn't based on what's happening around us. It's a reality of who God is in us. See, bank might be able to repossess and take your house. External. Can't take your joy. Disease might be able to take your health. But your spirit is untouched. 
can't take your joy. Other people can harm you, disappoint you, betray you, but they can't take our joy. There's an old spiritual we used to sing uh, in the churches I grew up in. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it. And does anybody know the rest? And the world can't take it away. The world didn't give it. world can't take it away. So if we have suffering, we will. When we have pain, we will. Disappointment and loss. Inside, inside, there remains a fervent hope based on the character of God, backed up by the promises of God, and no one can steal your joy. No matter what, no matter what, our hope is firm that somehow, some way, God is going to get us through. That should have been good news. <laughs> somehow, some way, God is going to get us through. And so inside, there's this little grin. It's called joy. Like if there was a, an x-ray or some kind of diagnostic machine that could see your spirit, it'd be smiling. Like, I know something. I know something. And it's that somehow, some way, God is going to get me through. Let's say the definition together again. Joy. Say it with me. Joy. A confident internal grin born of fervent hope based on the and backed up by the promises of God. All right? We're going to take this on. Here are, uh, here's a sample of reasons. I'm not going to give them all to you of why we don't have more joy, and I'm calling these joy killers. So the first one is problems and persecution. See, the reason that it's a joy killer is because we have mistaken joy for something based on uh, uh, when life is good. We've mistaken joy for something we can have only when life is going our way. But the first hint of trouble, our joy evaporates like water on pavement when the sun comes out. Jesus talked about Christians who have such a shallow experience with him that at the least hint of trouble, their joy is killed. Here's what Jesus said. The seed sprouted quickly. The seed was the teaching of Jesus, the word of God that he was delivering to people. And he says this seed hit people's heart and it quickly sprouted. People were like, that's cool. I like that. That's good news. But look what happened. The plant soon wilted under the hot sun because why? Didn't have deep roots. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and they immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, why? They don't, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems, soon as they're persecuted for believing God's word. How many of you know life gets hard? And how many of you have felt like You've lost your joy during suffering. You might have lost your happiness. We're going to talk about this in a minute, but you didn't lose your joy. Joy was available to you, but it takes some deep roots based on the character of God, you knowing who God is, 
and backed up by the promises of God, you knowing what God has promised to you. Does this make sense? That's how you keep joy even when you have persecution and trouble. Here's joy killer number two, unconfessed sin. Somebody said we're only as sick as our secrets. When we have sin in our life, something between us and God, we've gone our way instead of God's way. We've done what we wanted instead of what he has wanted. We've hurt ourselves. We've hurt others. When we hide that stuff, when we deny that stuff, it's like our joy bucket has holes drilled in the bottom of it, and our joy just leaks out. Unconfessed sin erodes the bottom of our joy bucket. So it doesn't matter how much you try to pour in the top, it's always going to leak out the bottom. Because we were created to be right with God and to come clean before God and to keep short accounts with God so that God can continually be cleaning and forgiving us. I'll give you an example of this from a famous guy in the Bible. His name was David, and he loved God. He loved God, but he was a very flawed man. And David, at one point, got caught up in a scandal involving adultery, and then he launched a conspiracy to commit murder. And he didn't want anybody to know. If you were an adulterer and a murderer... How many of you would want everybody to know? Yeah, David didn't want anybody to know either, but look what he said. When I kept silent, unconfessed sin, when I didn't tell anybody about it, thought I could hide it and deal with it, but physically, physically, not just spiritually, his body started wasting away. Now, about 20 chapters later, after David had come clean before God and had asked God to forgive his sins, look at the very next thing David asked for. Restore to me, what? The joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. See, unconfessed sin is like a disease that's just rotting you from the inside out. You have that going on and your joy will suffer. A couple more of these, and then we're going to hop to the positive side. Joy killer number three, refusing to work for peace. You know, when we're always cantankerous, cranky, in conflict with other people, living life high on drama, low on peace, we're also going to be low on joy. Do you know people, don't point to them, but do you know people who are always in conflict with someone else, and they always believe that someone else is the problem? No people like this, say amen. It can even be you. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm out of another friendship group. Why? Well, they're all toxic. Six months later, well, I'm out of a new friendship group. Why? Toxic, they're all toxic. I start to think there's one common denominator. You see what I'm saying? And here's what I've noticed about people who are always in conflict. They don't have joy. They're stewing in the past. They're reliving all the harms ever done to them. Some of them even plotting revenge in their heart, holding on to anger and bitterness, and they wonder, why don't I have joy? Look at the wisdom found in this proverb. Deceit fills hearts that are plotting evil. 
Joy fills hearts planning peace. Let me say it this way. If you're always trying to get even, you'll never get ahead. You'll live without joy in your heart. Does this make sense? With me? Joy killer number four. There's a confusion about joy. I told you we were going to talk about this. We get confused about the difference between happiness and joy. Now remember, joy is an internal grin because you know, you just know that somehow, someway, God's going to get you through. So even though crying on the outside, maybe inside this little smile, because I know something, God's going to get me through. That's joy. It's working in you. Happiness is based on happenings going on around you that are always changing, always temporary. If you base the joy meter of your life on the circumstances or the happenings of your life, your meter is going to be all over the board because circumstances change all the time. Who knows this, right? The consistency inside, I know the character of God never changes. I know the promises of God never changes. My hope is built on that. That produces my joy. The unchanging parts of God in me. Happiness is all about outside stuff. See, happiness is a house. Joy is a home. Do you know the difference? Happiness is a bed. Joy is a contented night of sleep. Do you know the difference? Happiness is making a good living. Joy is living a good life. And there is a what? Big difference. The difference between happiness and joy is like the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. All the thermometer can do is just report what's going on outside. Just report the circumstances around us. It can't affect change. It can't make change. And it's going to go up and down based on what's happening around it. But the thermostat, on the other hand, the thermostat controls the temperature can make the room stay consistent. Listen, you want to be a thermostat. You don't want to be a thermometer. If you base your life on what happens to you, you will seldom be happy. You'll seldom be joyful. But if you have that inner grin, that inner hope, based on the promises of God and the character of God, you can take that to the bank, and your joy will stay consistently strong. Now, let's turn the corner from joy killers to joy fillers, the stuff that fills your joy tank, because, listen, going from a joyless life to a joy-filled life requires God's help. And we want a joy... Who wants a joy-filled life? Yeah, about half of you. So, (laughs) it's good. Better than I thought it was going to be, so that's, that's good. Here we go. Joy filler number one, remain connected to the vine. We have been looking at this one passage of Scripture every week so far in this series. It's an agricultural example of Jesus where he gives the illustration of a vine, the root that's coming out of the ground that passes life source nutrients to the branches, and then from the branches grows fruit. And the fruit that grows, Jesus said, will be love and, we're learning right now, joy. Here's how Jesus said it. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. 
For a branch, and this makes sense, cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches, so we know our roles. He's the life source. Fruit grows from us. Those who remain in me, the vine, and I in them, the branch, will produce what? Much fruit. For apart from me, you can do do nothing. We remain in Jesus by remaining in what he taught, by remaining in what he said, by remaining in who he is. Jesus said we remain in him by obeying what he taught us, by following his example. Jesus said this, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. And then notice this one. When you obey my commandments... That's how you remain in my love. Just as I obeyed my Father's commandments, I remain in His love, and I've told you these things. See, we don't connect our obedience to Jesus with joy, but notice this. I've told you these things that you, so that you will be filled with my joy, and your joy will, will overflow. That's powerful. Look at this. Always be joyful. Never stop praying and be thankful. So, first joy filler, remain connected to Jesus. Joy filler number two, practice replacement thoughts instead of runaway thoughts. Replacement thoughts instead of runaway thoughts. How many of you have ever spent a sleepless night worried about something? Me too, me too. And then how many of you have ever worried that you're worrying too much? You, you, you kind of double up on the, on the worry meter, right? There's a solution. Change what you're thinking about. Change what you're thinking about. Here's what the Bible says. Always be full of joy in the Lord. Okay, I want to be. How? Fix your thoughts. Stop right there for a minute. I, look, I want you to look at this word fix. Fix your thoughts. Now, the exact translation of that Greek word is focus. That it's, it, it really is translated focus. Focus your thoughts. But I kind of like how we've translated it into the English, fix it. I used to have a a coach who would say to me, get your mind right. Get your mind right. Fix your thinking. Like I had broken thinking, fix it. So fix it. And then also focus your thoughts. Now focus it on what? What's true and honorable and right and pure and admirable Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all of this that you have learned. Just like good thoughts can bring us joy, good words can bring us joy. Good words spoken with a smile can fill us with joy. This is why gossips and liars and belly achers bring us down. How many of you have ever known anybody with Debbie Downer syndrome? Mwah, mwah. Right? Fallen face, always down, got a big weight on their back. They walk in a room and there's a dark cloud that comes in with them. And if you listen to what they say, everything's negative. Everything's pessimistic. 
Everything brings you down. So here's my question for you. Do the words you speak lift or are they a downer? Think about it. There, there have been meetings that I've been in with people and consistently when ideas are circulating, there will be that person who always just shoots it down. Like their knee jerk is negative. Their knee jerk is why it doesn't work. Their knee jerk is why we shouldn't do it. Their knee jerk, it, it's just, it's just kind of how they're built. And it just you can feel the energy of the room, the life in the idea just being sucked out. Or you tell somebody, maybe a friend of yours, good news. Yeah, well, I heard about somebody who took a trip like that one time, and it didn't go well. <laughs> well I'm glad I didn't invite you. <laughs> you <know? laughs> Like, there's just these people. Here's what I'd say. Make sure you're not one of them. Think about your words. Listen to yourself this week and see if your words are lifting people. Because everybody enjoys a fit. That's the word joy. Enjoys. I am inside of joy. Everyone enjoys a fitting reply. I like this one. I bring good news. And look what good news does. Good news will bring great joy to all people. I like this one. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart, but good news makes for good health. Did you know that the Bible says, besides good nutrition and exercise and all the things we think we need for good health, we also need good news. We also need good news. By what you say, are you a joy stealer or are you a joy giver? Joy filler number four. This one's going to surprise you. This is for parents, Christian children. I'm not making this up. How many of you have a living parent? How many of you have a living parent? I'm going to see. Let me see. That's probably about half of us. I don't. My parents are gone, but about half still have a living parent. Did you know that the way you live your life for the Lord either brings your parents joy or it takes their joy away. It's in the Bible. Look at this. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. I know this to be true as both a dad and a son. When I was far from the Lord, my life brought tears and sleepless nights and deep hurt to the heart of my parents. But when I came back to Jesus, I visibly saw the joy in their hearts. My children love Jesus. And as a dad, the joy of that is worth more to me than many, many riches. A joy filler are kids who live for Jesus. I'm going to give you one more. A firm hope. A firm hope. Uh, the idea of hope was in our definition. We have a hope based on the character of God backed up by the promises of God. And that hope is what produces our joy. It's what the scripture says. The hope of the godly results in joy. Now, you need to understand this hope is about the future. How many of you have had plans unravel? You know, you plan something, just didn't come together. Yeah, I have too. I'm not talking about plans for the future that you and I can create 
or that you and I can control. This is hope for the future because we know who holds the future. Does this make sense? This is a hope we have based on God working things out. Somehow, some way, God's going to work it out. This is how we have joy. This is how we endure in the race of life. This is how we keep that internal grin when outwardly life is hard. This is how Jesus endured suffering in his life because he held on to hope and it produced a joy. And so outside life was hard for Jesus, but inside he held on to hope. Here's what the Bible says about that. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates our perfect faith because of the joy awaiting him. Do you see that? He knew somehow, some way. God's going to work it out. So inside he had joy while he was enduring the cross, disregarding the shame. And as a result of that, he's now seated at a place of honor beside God's throne. Do you remember what joy is? It's a confident hope, confident internal grin, born of a fervent hope based on the what? And backed up by what? The fervent hope that God will somehow, some way, work this out and see us through. Like if we could get this, if we could just get this, God never changes. He's always been faithful. He's kept every promise he's ever made. Never broken a promise. Because that's who he is. That's his character. So now I have hope. And that hope produces in me an internal grin. And we call that, we call that, we call that joy. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I'm grateful that there is a way. There actually is a way for us on the inside to have a steady, joyful spirit even when life hurts, even when circumstances are hard because it has nothing to do with the circumstances and it has everything to do with your character and your promises. And if we hold firmly to you, no matter what's going on, we have this hope that somehow, some way, You're going to see us through. You're going to work it out. And because of that, inside, we have a little grin because we know a secret that not everybody else knows. And that's our joy. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen.